So hey, sorry for about what you're about ready to endure. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about um, relationships in a very specific thing. I want to start by, by really kind of driving home a very simple fact that God desires healthy relationships for all of us. That's, that's a period statement. You can underline it, circle it, and go, God desires healthy relationships. We know that Genesis writes that God said, looked at man and said, hey, it's not good to be alone. We know that the Bible gives us a great model of Jesus' interaction with the Father. That shows great intimacy and great um, authenticity. And, and, and we get models from, from Scripture over and over again about um, the goodness of having friends. Nobody enters into a relationship and like, hey, I want you as a friend so you can stab me in the back. I mean, I don't think anybody does that. Not that anybody that I've ever, ever met with or talked to or, or interacted with stopped and went, we're just going to really work on this marriage so that both of us can be miserable. And then we'll die. You know, I mean, nobody starts that way. And, and, so, and so you didn't, did you? So nobody starts with dysfunction. Even us. Nobody starts in dysfunction. Well, kind of. We did, I think. Follow your notes. Don't add them. <laughs> no notes. Oh. Well, sometimes when you juxtapose good and bad, you kind of get a better picture of stuff. So um, we're first going to talk about some traits of a healthy relationship. And it kind of opens your eyes sometimes. So, oh, that's what it's supposed to be like. Um, anyways, a healthy relationship is free and generous both are eager to include others in their activities. Um, they experience joy when your friend hits it off with another person. Um, also, in a good relationship, we desire to see our friend or spouse um, reach his full potential and develop new interests and skills. I can't tell you how much joy and pain it is to watch <laughs> Dave go to school, but to see him you know, light up when he discovers new things and stuff like that. That's, that's a good, healthy thing. Um, I light up? Yes. Wow. You light up. I glow. glow. There's this glow around glow. you. <laughs> glow. Um, our response to our friends, what they say and do, is balanced in a healthy relationship. And a healthy rela- a friendship is joyful, healing, um, encouraging, and upbuilding. We know good relationships are able to communicate. Right, if you can't talk, and talking is not just this, but sometimes it's that. Um, but good relationships not only are able to talk, but they're able to listen. Proverbs tells us that the words of the wise bring healing. Um, healthy relationships are able to deal with conflict. How many people know that in a relationship, conflict will occur? Like, how many people are surprised by that? My dad's like, no, it's serenity. Um, I'm like, no, Dad, it's not. I lived with you guys. So, um, but, but so he- healthy, healthy relationships are able to deal with, in a healthy way, the conflict that naturally occurs when two people are together. Just going to happen, right? And a healthy relationship, and this is critical, is not afraid of reality. A healthy relationship does not live in fear of reality. And I think if in, in talking with some of you guys and in, in dealing with our own issues and in, in dealing with everything from an employer-employee relationship to friends, 
to um, coworkers and everything else, one of the most difficult things for relationships to address is reality. Because we all walk into a relationship, whether it is dating, whether it is friendships or, or, or marriages, with a certain ideal in mind. And a lot of times that ideal is, is, is skewed a little bit. We know, some of you guys know this one. How many people know this, this word's coming up? Are you laughing? <laughs> how many? I mean, this is this is how Zan and I started. This is reality. <laughs> this is my life. I circle the sun of my life. <laughs> That's so wrong. <laughs> um, everybody, throw up your mouth just a little bit. So we deal with romance, we deal with literature, we deal with society, we deal with internet, we deal with our own pictures, we deal with our fantasies, our hopes, our dreams. And then we exchange rings or we say we remain committed to one another and we deal with reality. And this morning, in the midst of our desire as your pastor to see healthy relationships, we're going to deal with a bit of reality that affects some. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John 4. And what happens when we deal with the ideal or what we deal with what's in our head is that we begin to, just like Jerry, right? I love you. You complete me. And everybody goes, oh, so sweet. And wives elbow the house. Like, when are you ever going to say that to me? complete me. Or, or we look at another person in our life and we're like, well, someday I will find the person that does that. A person that completes. And when we, when we head into relationships with that, we ground relationships in fiction. And we celebrate sickness as health. We celebrate sickness and health because the clip of that and a lot of what we hear about relationships and a lot of what is trumpeted and triumphed as successful relationship is dysfunction. And one of the things that we want to talk about this morning is, is the thing is emotional dependency. And in everything that we talk about and in all the conversations I've had with you guys, I think this is the one area that needs to be addressed so that not because we can identify what's wrong, but that in the identifying of what's wrong, we can move towards health. Because everybody deserves a healthy relationship because everybody who is a child of God 
God desires that health and that, that encouragement in, in life. So if you have John 4, we know the story. It's a Samaritan woman. And we concentrate a lot on, on, on her. And we're, we're going to look at her, but from a different, different angle. The woman at the well. It says in John 4, Jesus was traveling uh, between Judea and Galilee. It's hot, middle of the day. He looks for a, for a, a, a drink of water. He arrives in, in the Samaria area and, and comes to a well. And there it should have been empty because it was during a time when uh, most people would have already, already gathered water for the day. And yet he finds a woman there at the well. And we, we kind of we walk down the story. And if you want to read it this week, it's, it's John 4. But the conversation begins between Jesus and this woman. And many times when we read this story and when we preach this story, we, we preach it and we read it from the point of, of symptoms. Right? So we look at the woman and we look at her sinfulness and we never look at the disease that caused the symptoms. That makes sense? So sometimes when we look at scripture, we, we focus on the symptoms. Same thing in our lives. We focus on the symptoms and we don't look at the undercurrent of what creates the symptoms. So Jesus goes to this woman and, and, and says, hey, go find your, and, and this is verse 16, ask the woman, go to your husband and she honestly responds, I don't have one. And in verse 17, Jesus says, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with. You certainly spoke the truth. So we could stop there and go, well, you know, she's promiscuous. We need to pray right now for her because she's sleeping around. She's got issues. So we, if, if, if a lot of times it would be like, we'll just deal with that. Why are you doing that? Stop. And yet what we want to look at this morning is what generated the action. What created in a woman to live so brokenly that she lived in isolation and, and just damaged and she ended up being used. And what I would submit to you and what we would submit to you this morning is the woman at the well gives us a, a, an amazing picture of the devastation of emotional dependency in the life of an individual. See, scholars would say that, that emotional dependency um, is getting one's good feelings from the outside rather than the inside. It's looking outward rather than inward. It's, it's a man who is emotionally dependent on a, on a woman uh, seeks her presence to to be complete in life. Like, okay, that she completes me. And a woman who is emotionally dependent on a man usually does that for security and a sense of, of safety. Yeah, some of the other traits of emotional dependency is that relationship is very ingrown. It creates stagnation. And it limits personal growth. Um, it displays intense jealousy if another person is, is shown attention by our friend or spouse. Um, it reacts with extreme highs and lows to what our friend says or does. It's easily threatened by others. Their uncaring behavior is threatening. And they acts out with desperation and um, panic if the other person is to draw away. 
So one of the easiest ways of saying, like, hey, I'm in one of these is if you isolate yourself. Right? So if you're in a, in a relationship that you think you're going, it's going to complete you, you forsake all other relationships in your life. The friends you once had, you don't have anymore. You stop calling, writing, texting. People will, you'll, you'll hear words like, hey, man, where'd you go? I'm in love. No, you're not. You're, you're headed down this road. The hobbies that you once had stop. Right? You stop doing whatever you do that brings joy in your life. That brings you a sense of fulfillment. So if you like doing something and you're the person you're with and you ended up stopping doing something, that's a great, great illustrator of it. You need constant reminders of your own importance. Please tell me you love me. Do you love me? Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> See, that wouldn't work. That would hurt me. And so I would fish for compliments. I'd be like, what? Tell me what makes me special. <laughs> the other one is, is you end up conforming. Right? You, you, end up, you, you end up conforming either to someone else's wishes or you spend an inordinate amount of energy trying to get the other person to conform to yours. You either conform to someone else's or you spend an inordinate amount of energy uh, conforming to somebody else's. So basically, emotional dependency creates bondage. And we were created for freedom. Um, the interesting thing behind this kind of dependency, there's legitimate needs. Um, every person, and this isn't wrong, d- needs love and friendship and affirmation and leadership. But when we fall into the dependency part of it, it's when we have false beliefs about who we are and how those needs need to be met. Let's go back to the woman at the well. Um, let's look at her behavior as symptomatic of something deeper. She had a thirst and a need. And Jesus spoke to it in uh, verse 10. He says, he, he replies, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. He, he, he gives us the answer, in a sense, right there. With our thirsts and our needs, if we only knew Jesus, we would go to him for those thirsts and our needs. But what, when we fall into that, again, that unhealthy dependency, it's those, those false beliefs. Um, along with the woman at the well, we too have those. We have those false beliefs. A false belief is that we have a no, no innate self-worth. You can see it displayed in her when she, um, in verse 9, when she says, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. Why are you asking me for a drink? She thought of herself with little worth at all. And there's this false belief that we never fit in with other people. Um, why do you think she went to the well during the middle of the day? She didn't want to be around other people because she had this reputation. She, she feared being around people. Other false beliefs that we fall into are um, that we think that physical affection equals love. Um, We think we need to be someone's favorite. Uh, We falsely believe someday, we already talked about it, that we'll meet that one who will complete us. 
Can we stop there just for a moment? Is, is that okay? I know it's not in our notes. But I, I think young people, this is, this is critically important, and even people that, that, that are single and find themselves in midlife. This, this idea that your treasure is found in earthly vessels, that somehow I'm going to find somebody that brings me happiness and contentment. What, what that does on the other person is devastating. Because the, the reality is, is that no one can bring us what Christ alone provides for us. Right? Nobody can supply for us, no matter how amazing they are, no matter how talented they are, no matter if they're an artist and they sing and they write and they cook sometimes. You had me at hello. <laughs> Um, but it puts so much weight on another person. Even if you're dating, right? If you're dating and you become like this stalker, I need to be with you. But you're with me last. You weren't with you. You make me so happy. It's important as we move forward and all the elbows that are going on is kind of funny to watch from here, but... Um, <laughs> Don't put someone in the chair that Christ made for himself. Like, don't do that. Because they'll never fit. They'll always feel kind of weird. And you put them, you set them up to fail. Bottom line, the most amazing person that God will ever bring in your life, and I will say that without a doubt, God will bring you people in your life that are tremendously amazing. But they are not brought in there to fill the place that God himself created. Okay? I'm oh, sorry. You're up. It's okay. No, I, I fell into it when I was younger. Um, really low self-esteem. And, and it's like I didn't trust my own feelings, so I needed other people to validate who I was. Um, I didn't feel lovable or worthy without another's approval. And I think what I ended up doing is basing my identity on my friends. And then it was like I needed lots of attention from those friends specifically to even feel okay. Um, and it was destructive. It, was, it destroyed who I was. Um, but there is hope, and there is, there's a path out of that kind of thing, too. Um, and that's what we want to talk about now. One of the first things is a commitment to honesty. And I, and I love that. I just recently was reading some stuff about that, and I thought it was, it was eye-opening for me even now, years later. There's three levels of honesty. One is being honest with ourselves. Um, admitting our areas of weakness, knowing that dependency is a sin and, and you know, being able to say, yeah, that's, that's part of who I am. It's kind of like, you know when you get in the car and you're driving and all of a sudden the check engine light goes on, boom, and you're like, yeah, I'm not going to worry about that. It's probably nothing. It's probably a f wire, fuse. And then all of a sudden you're parked beside the road thinking, I probably should have worried about that. I probably should have followed up on the check engine light. We have that in our hearts and our spirit. It's like a little light that comes on and says, hey, you're being really needy. You might want to deal with this. So respond to those check engine lights. Be honest with yourself. And the second part of being honest is being honest with God. 
going before him and, and confessing our sins and, and not hiding from him. I, there's that scripture that talks about, you know, um, gosh, where is it? It just escaped me. Don't have it. Yeah, that one. Jesus what? <laughs> I didn't put it in my notes. <laughs> Jesus what? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Creating me a clean heart, oh God. Renew the steadfast spirit in me. Being able to go to him and ask for that. Um, third is to... The third part of the honesty is to, is to find someone you can entrust yourself to, a mature person, not another person you can get emotionally attached to, but someone you can be accountable to and be able to express what's going on inside if you're dealing with dependency. So that takes a level of maturity on your part, to be able to see that if people are swimming in the same pool, and you're complaining about being wet, it's probably not a good idea to pour out your heart to those guys. <laughs> they, it's, it's those friends that are like, oh my God, you guys are so special together. I haven't seen you and you don't write or talk and you stop going to school, but you're so cute. Hey, that's not the person you want to talk to. The person you want to talk to is like, hey, hey, hey what does God say about this? Hey, so, so the second one outside of that is... is don't fear loneliness. One of the fascinating things about humanity is our desire to fill every waking hour. We got to have you, you. We end up doing rather than being, because if we continue to do something, then I never have to deal with me, right? I can I can go build something and read something and write something and call someone and then I can text and then watch a movie and then I can go feed the dog and walk the dog and talk to someone and then call them and text them again and, and pretty soon it's one o'clock and I'll go to bed utterly exhausted to wake up at seven and drink a lot of coffee to do it again. Bed at one o'clock in the morning? Used to. Now I go to bed at like eight. Seven thirty. Start napping at seven thirty. But anyway, so so when we when you fear being alone, you have a tendency to fill every waking moment. And a lot of feeling alone is just hating who you are, right? Because if I'm always with someone, I never have to look in the mirror. I'm always looking at something or someone else. And a way to stop being alone, in all honesty, can fill yourself with all sorts of things. Guys will fill themselves with different things than, than, than ladies, but it is, a, is an idea of it's okay to not have to be with someone all the time. And I will say that with, with, with a marriage too. It's okay to have space. Mm-hmm. Like, she, like, when are you going to go ride your bike? Don't you need to go ride your bike? I need quiet and you're never quiet. <laughs> it hurts me. And so sometimes she's like, shh. <laughs> and, but for me, you know, and we, we've made jokes about this, but it is okay to be comfortable in your own skin. Um, the gradual separation. No, that's, I'm not talking to marriages or anything like that, but if you find yourself in a dependent relationship where you know it's not healthy and you're, it's like you're dating somebody or just in a friendship that is, it's obsessive about it. 
allow God to bring gradual separation. That's actually healthy because he can bring health through that. Um, allow him to work. And there's, and there's times of grieving in that too because there's a bond sometimes that, that is strong that, that takes some tearing apart, but it's healthy. Um, cultivate other relationships, healthy ones. People who can build you up and, and encourage and discover God's vision for relationship. I'm listening to this guy. <laughs> He's telling you're telling him about God's vision for relationship. Oh, like, wow. <laughs> you're like, what? <laughs> um, this one, this next one is huge for me. Is discover who you are in Christ. And that was huge for me. Um, understanding your value comes from God and not from another individual. Uh, scripture helped me a ton in that. And, and I would literally read every night scriptures that talked about who I was in Christ. And I'd read them so my brain could hear them, so my heart could absorb them and um, begin to believe it, that I was loved, I'm accepted, I'm chosen, I'm complete in him, I'm redeemed, I'm forgiven cleansed, justified, sanctified, a child of God, new creature. All those things are what scripture tells us who we are in Christ. And then resolve those deeper issues. If you can identify and begin to be, you know, what what makes me vulnerable for emotional dependence? I had to examine that. And then and be prepared for a long journey. It's not a quick fix if you find yourself in this. Um, it's not, oh, I'm out, I'm good, because it's easy to fall into it again with another individual. I thought of this this week. It's like, have you ever worked with glitter? I know, guys, you know, you work with Gorilla Glue or whatever, but we work with glitter, <laughs> right? Oh, I would love to see you work with Gorilla Glue. <laughs> And at the beginning of it, it looks all pretty and it looks nice, but then you realize it's a mess. And you try cleaning it up, and you think you got it all, and then you suddenly find remnants of it in some unforeseen place. Like, where did this glitter come from? Um, sorry, I just had a picture of the trolls yeah. and their glitter the other night. Um, Emotional dependency is kind of like that. It might start out innocent and pure, a relationship like that, but it becomes a mess. Mm. And you work on cleaning it up, and you think you have it all, and then suddenly it rears its ugly head, and you find it later in unforeseen places. So that's why it's critical to get to those deeper issues, what's that, that source of what that's coming from. So we're going to wrap it up, but we're not talking about right isolating yourself again. We already already knew, already laid the groundwork that God desires us to be in healthy relationships with one another. That's critical. I was like, all oh, relationships are dysfunctional. It's, no, they're not. There's a very interdependent. It happens in marriage where where God says, you know, if husbands or, or men leave your father and mother and be with your wife, and the two shall become one. In church. Ephesians talks about gifts 
and how the, the operating of the gifts is a completeness and an interdependency of one another that demonstrates health. But we're not talking about, uh, about isolation. It's just incredibly important for me to not get a phone call next week and go like, hey, Dave, I killed 14 of my best friends. We're not asking about that. We're asking you to be honest, though, about the dysfunction that does occur. Mm. Why don't we close with that one? You're amazing. Lord, there's this beautiful illustration. of We were actually going to bring one, but we didn't. Think of your life as a bicycle wheel. And one spoke is your mother, and one spoke is your father, and one spoke is your spouse, one spoke is a child and a friend that completes this wheel. But our tendency, unfortunately, is to put God as another spoke. When he alone is the hub, we can't put another person in the hub because that's too much pressure on that person. But God is the hub. T.S. Eliot says, God is the still point in our turning world. He is the basis to who we are and, and, and why we've been created and... We, he intends us to love all those people in our lives, our spouses and our, you know, yeah, <laughs> our friends, our, our parents, our family. But he always wants it in the context of our primary foundational love of God. He must be our deepest love. And actually, he, he is the source of all of our other loves. So for her and I, right, we, we both walked into a marriage with some significant bags and we've walked through a lot of life and we're coming up on 18 years of marriage. And we add things to each other. She's incredibly special in my life. She, in a very real sense, adds things to my life that I would not get anyplace else as a marriage should. But, but the, the challenge for us as men and women is to look at the people we most dearly love and be honest enough to go, are we healthy or not? Are we putting you in a place that only God belongs? Are we expecting you to be the voice that the Holy Spirit should be? Are we expecting you to build up and to offer security that is only offered and sustained by God? This is not a limiting factor on a relationship. In fact, I think that it protects a relationship. It allows a relationship to be honest and open, to communicate, to know that not everything, she's not going to ever be perfect, and God knows I'm not anywhere close to that. So to, to, to take the dependency out of whatever you're in is an opportunity to be healthy. And is an opportunity to begin to build your worth in your relationships, not on your kids or your marriage or anything else, but on, 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 on Christ.